Mathilde Simas is an award-winning documentary photographer who uses her gifts to generate social change. Her work focuses on human rights, people affected by trauma, and endangered ecosystems. Because of this travel experience, I was able to see the power of photography as an instrument of social change. Throughout the years, we've heard many stories about how travel has saved and transformed lives. In Ying Ao Young's case, an impulsive trip to Milan helped her battle dark thoughts of suicide. After the trip, when I came back, I finally feel like, yeah, I, I need to start to take care of myself and look for changes of my life. Join us as we discuss the power of travel to generate social change and heal depression on World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. In 2017, award-winning photographer Mathilde Simas founded Capture Humanity, an artistic collaborative organization that aims to document humanitarian groups that assist women, children, marginalized communities, and conservation efforts. Patients' commitment and integrity are at the core of their efforts to inspire greater creative and social consciousness. Congratulations on your most uh, recent International Color Award for Wildlife. You, you seem to have a lot of awards, and I'm just wondering how much room on your walls and mantle you have left. I would love to show you a photograph of my office. It is filled with especially images from Namibia, which is a place that I found to be very magical and beautiful. But yeah, there isn't much room left, Tanya, I'll tell you. <laughs> I feel really blessed to be able to be recognized for the work that I've been doing. Well, your your work is powerful. And in fact, the, the photo that just garnered this um, most recent award is uh, features an adult male orangutan. And it is actually the cover photo in an article written by our friend Jessica Barrett. Um, who wrote about the devastation caused by palm oil production in Borneo. What were you trying to capture with that, the photo of that male orangutan? Well, he was gracious enough to come down from the trees to really take a look at us. And so I feel like he gave me the picture and often my subjects, they're the ones who have, I give them that control and so when he came down from the tree, actually, Jessica and I were standing next to each other. We both had the opportunity to photograph him. But for me, I was really seeking out the look on his face, you know, that those soulful eyes. You know, he, you can see the despair in his eyes. He's almost calling out to us, saying, you know, almost like, help me, look at my habitat. Uh, you know, look what's happening to my home, you know? So I feel like it's a very impactful image because of that, that look that he's giving the camera. 
Mitchell, I would describe you as an impact photographer. You travel all over the world capturing images that go beyond faces and landscape to tell stories about important global issues. Where did this interest in raising awareness about social issues through your lens come from? Well, I've been very lucky to travel all over the world documenting nonprofits doing really inspiring work. And the photography that I create uh, really aims to do three things. The first is it aims to inform by creating awareness about the social causes that I document. And the second is provoke discussions about these social injustices. Uh, it, it gently invites people into these conversations that sometimes people feel very uncomfortable about. And uh, the third is really to inspire action. I really want people to feel so inspired by the artwork that they want to devote time to helping nonprofits and even donating to nonprofits that I document. And really, the start of all this work really started uh, during a trip to Namibia. Now, I don't know if you've ever traveled to Namibia before, but we have. Namibia has these... I have you. It's just so beautiful there. You know, the landscapes, I, I really describe them as really being magical, sand dunes and, the, you know, these orange, beautiful colors. And, you know, it was just a, a really impactful trip. I spent two days documenting the Himba tribe in the Hartman Valley and then was just really enchanted by the Dead Slay National Park where I was able to photograph the trees and this beautiful landscape with the orange behind them. But more than that, the trip was so impactful for me personally because I visited a children's soup kitchen where I spent a full day there volunteering photography services at a soup kitchen named the Home of Good Hope. At the soup kitchen, I met hundreds of children that had been left orphaned by the AIDS epidemic. And I didn't know it at the time, but this was really a pivotal moment in my photography career. Up until this point, I had been really working as a portrait and a wedding photographer. When I arrived home from Namibia, I was really able to see the impact that my images would have when they were used in the newspapers and in many fundraising campaigns that raised a lot of money for the children at the soup kitchen. And because of this travel experience, I was able to see the power of photography as an instrument of social change. Mm -hmm. You worked on a social documentary project in Myanmar. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so after leaving Namibia, uh, a few months later, I traveled to Myanmar. There, I was really interested in really documenting the daily life people after being under a military regime. I read a lot about the places that I plan to visit before I go, and I had read a lot about how th this country had been left in sort of like a time capsule, and that really attracted me to really want to go there and see what the lives of the people there were like. So during my travels there, I visited orphanages, monastic schools, I photographed in a lot of public spaces. During my travels, I was visiting a nunnery. When I arrived there, I was confronted with over 200 children and I was really confused. 
I started wondering, you know, is this a nunnery? Is this an orphanage? I didn't really quite understand. So I was later told by the two women that were caring for all these children that the children were left there by their parents because of the conflict going on in the country. And they had a fear that their children would be taken by human traffickers. And it was really the first time that I was confronted by human trafficking. And, you know, I just started asking more questions about human trafficking. And I guess their country has a lot of problems with child forced labor and forced marriage. So I came back home to the United States and I just wanted to read as much as I possibly could about human trafficking. I really wanted to be informed and I found myself feeling more and more motivated to reach out to nonprofits working to eradicate human trafficking to find out if I could be welcomed into their organizations to try to document this problem. As a result of her outreach, Mathilde has traveled to several countries documenting efforts to eradicate human trafficking. After reaching out to dozens and dozens of um, nonprofits working to eradicate human trafficking, I was contacted by an organization in Nairobi, Kenya named Heart Kenya. I was welcomed in to document and worked very closely with their survivor lead, which is really important. When you enter a partnership with an organization, I heavily rely on the organization to help me understand the issue. And so the partnership really started about a year before I actually even traveled out to Nairobi. While I had the opportunity to document there, I met the seven young survivors of human trafficking. I really wanted to give them a platform in which they could tell their story and take control of their own narrative. And I felt that by being able to take control of your own narrative, that could be very powerful for them. And I wanted to create a series of images that could inform people about human trafficking and also invite these seven survivors into the creative process of photography. So we used photography really to create social change and the images were later used by the United Nations in a public exhibition in Nairobi Center informing and reaching thousands of people. And when these seven survivors were able to see their photographs in this exhibition, it really was empowering for them. You could see their confidence and their self-esteem really build up. And they could see that they were really causing change. It was just a wonderful and really powerful experience to spend time with survivors, hear their stories. It was very, very touching. The idea of human trafficking is still really misunderstood. For the most part, most people do not really completely understand what human trafficking is. So after working on this project, I came home to the United States and I talked to a lot of family and friends about my project. And that's exactly what happened. I felt like most of the people I spoke to, they felt that they didn't really know anything about human trafficking. And what they didn't know about human trafficking, they felt that this was not something that happened in the United States. It only happened in other countries. And that was really alarming for me. So it made me just more motivated to document this horrible issue. 
Browsing through Mathilde's portfolio is like taking a journey into the souls of each portrait, where each pair of eyes invite you to hear their story. We asked Mathilde if her photos speak to her when she's taking them or after they are produced. I think it's a lot of both. I spend a lot of time with the subjects that I photograph, and that really makes the photograph what it is. It's that relationship building I have with the subject. Part of my process is building that relationship, building trust with survivors of human trafficking. That's a huge issue for them. These are people who have been traumatized, a deep trauma, and you can see that in the eyes of the portraits that you're talking about. I believe you're speaking about the Faces Behind Atrocity portrait series, and you can really see that trauma even in those images of the seven young women wearing the masks, it was very challenging because now these are seven women who don't want to be identified. And for me, a subject's eyes are so important for the reasons that you just explained. And we came up with this concept of wearing a mask. The survivors just loved the idea. So we had them wear Mardi Gras masks, and they were able to decide which mask fitted them the best. And for them, the concept behind the mask was they felt it was a safe place for them to practice being their authentic selves. So it had a lot of deep meaning for them, but their eyes were so important for me to be able to photograph because looking at a person's eyes, it really tells a deep story, like you're saying. Thank you so much for recognizing that. The work that you're doing is very transformative, and I don't know of anybody who ever travels who doesn't come back uh, a little bit different or hasn't learned something about themselves. And so I want to ask you, what have you actually discovered about yourself through your travels and your work? And that's exactly what travel has really done for me. It really has taught me so much about who I am as a person, the things that I stand for. But one of the biggest things is how resilient I am myself. You know, I'm trekking through the world to sometimes dangerous places on my own as a woman. You know, I really rely a lot on my inner gut, my own female intuition into the places that I go to. But it's really about, you know, learning about my own human resilience, you know, getting up, early, getting the work done, really spending that time to get to know my subject, learning so much from my subject. You know, there's so much that I learned from the people that I photograph. I feel so blessed to be able to do the work that I do. Where can people go to enjoy your beautiful work? They can actually go to two places. I do have a website. It's matildefemus.com. And then I also direct an art collaborative called Capture Humanity. It's an art collaborative with various different artists where we come together and work on social injustice projects. And it's called CaptureHumanity.com.
You can see the powerful body of Matilde's work on her website, matildesemus.com and capturehumanity.com. We will also have links to those websites on our show page at worldfootprints.com. You're listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world one story at a time. We invite you to travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com, and make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift. Due to a number of factors, including her traditional upbringing in Macau, Ying Aoyoung developed depression while studying in London, England. After a period of feeling suicidal, Ying realized that she was walking a dangerous tightrope. So she booked a last-minute trip to Italy in hopes of changing her outlook. In Italy, Ying discovered the value of life. We often talk about how transformative travel is, how we come back a little bit different each time we travel. And Ying, you actually credit a trip that you took to Milan, Italy, as not only changing you a little bit, but also saving you. Can you explain what you mean by that? I was born in Macau. I was raised in a very traditional Asian family. Most of the time, it's my mom who takes care of me. She is a very traditional woman, you know, very strict to the family and also see the family as the center of her life. I was like, it won't allow me to build up my self-confidence because my mom would compare me to other people around the same age. I never get the chance to build up my own character since I was a kid. And then a few years ago, I came to London to study. It was a life-changing choice. It was slightly difficult because I came to London by myself. My family is really far away at the beginning. I find it really hard to come to, you know, a country that speaks English, not Chinese or Cantonese. When I was doing my master's degree in London, I got some issue with my boss. My family also got some issues. So my father was retired slightly earlier than expected. My mom was very stressed about it. When I tried to talk with her, she seemed to be very mad about me, why I can't be strong. I suffer from depression. Sometimes when I go out, I got some disturbing suicidal thoughts. I decided, okay, I just stay at home. I laid on the bed doing nothing or just crying. It was very tough. Ying says that she woke up one day and didn't recognize the person staring back at her in the mirror. What she saw concerned her. At that point, I look at the mirror, I just tell like, I just can't do it. If I continue, I will be in danger. So Ying decided she needed to do something that made her happy. Surprisingly, it was her recent interest in football that inspired her. I became a football fan. In U.S. it's called soccer. soccer. Yes. In U.S. it's called football. I become a football fan. There's a team called AC Milan. I really want to go to Milan to see the team. So I decided, that, okay, let's go to Milan for a few days and see what happened. It was a very sudden decision, but now I really appreciate what 
I decided to do. We asked Jing how her trip to Milan differed from her trip to London. I think my mind is completely different. When I first came to London, like, because I came here for study, so my mind was like, yeah, there's a lot of challenge ahead, like a grand future, and also like, because for at that point, I'm mainly thinking about studying. So at that point, it was quite, I won't say like it was like, I feel absolutely fine because like things are completely different. But in my mind, I feel slightly more positive. But before the trip to Italy, I would say like my mind is quite blank because basically I was so depressed that I just don't, I just can't think properly. I don't even like have any expectation for the trip. I just feel like just go to Milan, like just go somewhere just to see how things would work. Ying says that because her trip to Milan was impulsive and unplanned, her ability to travel without any research or itinerary gave her tremendous confidence. Basically, I did nothing. I only booked for the flight, booked for the hostel. When I land in Malpensa, the, the airport, I don't even know how to get to the city center, to be honest. It's just like a wife, look at my phone and check like, oh, how to get to the city center for Malpensa. I have no expectation, no preparation. But I think it was under that situation that I give myself more room to try or accept like, oh, my, like accept failure. This unplanned trip to Milan actually helped Ying open up to other people, forge new relationships and reclaim her life. I think from this trip, I get some inspiration from Italian people, like the way how they, you know, the pace that they enjoy their life, how they enjoy every small things like food, wine, all the other stuff that I never think in that way before. And I feel I learned quite a lot. After the trip, when I came back, I finally feel like, yeah, I, I need to start to take care of myself and, you know, look for changes of my life. Ying travels between London and Milan quite frequently to visit friends and attend AC Milan football games. She is also learning to read and speak in Italian because English documents about Italy's history and culture are not widely available. These studies have introduced Ying to a new circle of friends in London who also share her love for Italy and AC Milan. I finally found something that I find it meaningful for me. So that is like, I think it's more or less the motivation for me to continue and start to fight back against my depression. For me, traveling is really like, it's really different than your general life that is like, just like, oh, wake up, go to office, go to work, and then go back home, wake up and repeat the same thing, same thing again. Traveling, you really have some time to just be yourself and you are really taking control about oh, where I'm going, where I wanna go. When you see how other people to live, and then you look at the way you live and then you just suddenly find out that actually there's a lot of alternatives in the world, in the life that is, that's not necessarily just to live in one way. There's a lot of way you can live, you can enjoy your life. Ying realized that she was limiting herself by a belief that traveling was too expensive and unavailable for her. Like London to Milan actually is not very expensive. It's not very far away. and. 
I don't know how like before I before my first trip, I never really think about it. I always feel that like oh, it's not something that I could do. You know, it's, it, the the ticket isn't really that cheap. Maybe I would do it next time. Maybe when I have money, I would do it. But in the end, like traveling or you just or it's just simply like even a one day trip, just go to somewhere isn't really that difficult. It's always about you to take the first initiative. So mm-hmm. I feel like that is what I learned from traveling. It's always about you and where you want to go and what you want to do. Ying's story is reflective of the transformative power of travel. We asked her about her journey towards healing. I have friends also suffering from depression and mental health. So, I mean, if possible, I really want to reach out to those people and help them to let them understand that, like, they are not the only one. A lot of people are also struggling with it. Some people might be lucky to get over it. I think the most important thing is listen to your heart. Don't listen to what other people say, like, like, because for me, my case was my family always judging me. As part of the healing process, Ying had a heart-to-heart talk with her family when she returned to Macau for a visit. This helped her heal her relationship with her parents. I went back home at least once in a year because I still have friends and other family members at home that I really want to see. I think one of the things that changed is um, I really opened up with my family. I talked to my both my parents and highlight the difficulties I'm really having. Because I think for some older generation, they don't really believe in mental health issues. So I really emphasize that. Hey, listen, mom, I'm I'm really got depression and I'm really scared about it. I mean, like you might not believe it, but please understand that I'm really in the difficulties and please allow me to, you know, give me some time and room to let me to get over it. So I think after an honest talk with my parents, my father talked to my mom behind the scene a bit, and then now my mom has changed a little bit. And we just like, I know sometimes it's still quite weird when I go back home and talk with my parents, but I feel like since the incident, we were really like, okay, let's give some room to to the doctor, to, to me, to Yang that like she would have some space to really be who she is instead of something that my parents expecting what I could be. In this sort of um, supportive environment really give me strength to, you know, to overcome the difficult, to overcome my mental health issue and give me an uh, a complete new vision about my life in London. It took a lot of courage for Ying to share her story, her international move and travels, the recognition of depression, and her decision to talk to her parents and make necessary changes in her life are indicative of the courage she has. Ying attributes her positive outlook and commitment to a fulfilling life to her first trip to Milan. We have links to international resources for suicide prevention on our website at worldfootprints.com. 
Boy, dear, today's show was very, very powerful. From using a voice, your voice, your gift to impact social change as Mathilde does with her photography, and we do, frankly, with World Footprints, to allowing travel to really heal you. These stories today were very indicative of the power, the transformative power of travel. You know, I have seen how travel has worked in my own life I can think of certainly one very uh, dark episode in my life after my father passed. The trip we took to St. Vincent really brought me back to life. It's something that I share when I talk on the TEDx stages and, and around the world just about how travel really revived me and helped me find my purpose in this world. It goes to show that travel can have a much deeper impact than just recovery and getting away from the mundaneness in our lives. And so to hear these stories, to really probe how travel had this transformative impact and really life-changing impact is a real powerful story to hear. And I just want to leave everyone with this quote from Hans Christian Andersen, who said, to travel is to live. Amen, Hans Christian Andersen. Thank you, everyone, for traveling with us today. Please invite your family and friends to join us on these journeys. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we look forward to connecting you to the world, one story at a time, on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.